Hey guys, before we begin today's show, I would like to recommend a splendid history podcast called History by Hollywood. Have you ever watched a movie based on true events and thought, I didn't know that, or I wonder if that is how it happened? Then History by Hollywood is the podcast series for you. I personally enjoy listening to the hosts Martin and Andrew dive deep into some of the most famous historical movies. They even did an episode on one of my favorite movies, the 1964 film Zulu. If you like history, then I know you will love the podcast, History by Hollywood. Go check it out. And welcome to the history of Vikings. Before I introduce today's guest, I have two important things to tell you. If you enjoy the history of Vikings, then do me a favor and write me a review. I would love to hear your feedback. Secondly, if you have any good episode ideas, questions, or know someone who you think I should have on the show, feel free to contact me as I would be delighted to hear from you. The easiest way to reach me is via my email address, and that's noah at thehistoryofvikings.com. Again, that's noah at thehistoryofvikings.com. Today, I'm joined by John Mann. He's a numismatist and coin dealer, as well as a British coinage specialist, specializing in coins from the 7th to 17th century, especially Anglo-Saxon and Viking coins. You can find John at his website, and that is johnmancoins.com. John, without an H, J-O-N, man, M-A-N-N, coins.com. John, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure. Yeah, well, John, I'm so excited to have you on because I've always been fascinated with currency and coins. And I, when I was a younger kid, I used to do a, a little bit of amateur coin collecting myself, but I've never really dabbled in the medieval coins. But why don't you start us off today by just telling us a little bit about yourself? You know, what do you do for a living? How did you get into coin dealing? So yeah, John, why don't you just take it away from there? Okay. Um, you may be surprised to learn that I'm actually um, I'm actually a qualified nurse. Wow. Um, yeah, I spent uh, yeah spent three years at university. Um, uh, wound up with a, a first class degree in adult nursing. And um, during that time, um, yeah, I mean coins kind of took on uh, a new level for me. I was actually spending more time with the coins than I was sort of actually on my university work, which is clearly not a good thing to do. When you're training to do a degree, um, we're actually supposed to be looking after people. Um, however, I kind of, you, know, uh, you know, I pulled through, did six months at a, a local hospital, contract ran out, and I thought, okay, well, um, what what can I do here? You know, I've got this sort of real deep interest and passion um, in coins. Yes, I spent all this time, you know, training to be a nurse. Um, and I took a leap of faith, really. So I dived straight in, started to trade coins, bought a coin on eBay for £5. Had it for a while, enjoyed it, studied it, 
found out where it came from, what its history was, put it back on eBay and um, sold it for rather a lot more than I bought it for. So I thought, hey, you know, there's, there's, there's something in this. I can, you know, make a little bit of money, um, learn a bit about history. And, um, you know, and, and, and the rest is history. What can I say? Seven, eight years down the line, um, I'm doing it for a living. Wow. Um, I worked in London for a year and a half at an auctioneer's called Spink. Um, you know, I've traveled, well, I've traveled to the US, I've traveled to France, I've traveled various places with coins. You know, it's, it's been um, an absolute joy and a pleasure. Um, and, um, you know, and then, of course, I get to speak to people like your good self now about something which is a real passion. Yeah, no, that's that's fascinating. I don't even know where to start. There's so many so many questions that I have. But um, yeah, well, you mentioned, you, you know, you're so passionate about coins and, you know, talking to you, perhaps that's something I'll have to look into again. But, you know, so what what types of people are you working with in your in your coin trading and your coin dealing? Are they like high profile? file collectors? Are they just history buffs who are obsessed with coins? Is it all of the above? You know, what kind of people are you working with through your, your coin dealing? Um, well, I mean, obviously when I, you know, when I worked in London, when I worked at Spink, yeah, I mean, there, there were some big buyers. Um, one of the coins I was lucky enough to catalogue, not a Viking coin, but a, a coin of um, King Henry the Seventh. Um, ended up making um, a world record for the highest price ever realized for a Tudor coin. Wow. Um, you know, clearly, uh, well, I'll just give you an idea. I think that was something like 310,000 um, sterling, obviously, um, plus 20% buyer's premium on top of that. So you know, in, in the game, you've got buyers who are very well-heeled, um, who uh, clearly in that instance really, really appreciate piece of art, which is really what it is. And then at the, at the other end of, 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 of the spectrum, and to be, you know, I don't discriminate between the two because I've got equally as much time for someone who, like when I first started out, just wanted to hold a piece of history in their hands and actually, okay, yeah, I've, I've got a living to make, as you know, as we all do. But, um, but no, a, a, a coin, um, you know, that might be sort of just a few pounds can actually tell a real story. If if I'm to sort of relate, uh, you know, relate what I'm saying back to the Vikings, you know, you. You actually, um, you actually find that uh, a lot of um, Anglo-Saxon coins have been what's known as sort of packmarked, which is basically being uh, being silver as they are. If they've travelled in the Scandinavian world, you know, around the Baltic Sea, traders have taken an implement, usually a knife, and just pecked a bit of the metal away to see if the coin is uh, pure silver to check that it's not you know base inside and when you think when you actually take the time Noah to think about who's held this coin where has it been you know why did they peck the coin and what did they use to peck the coin with and you think that it's you know it's, it's been in the hand of a Viking trader um, and the fact that it's 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 been say on a, a Viking longship. You know, just imagine the sorts of stories that these things could tell. It's amazing. Yeah, that's absolutely remarkable. That's absolutely remarkable. You know, what can we learn about the Vikings from viewing their coins? What kind of Viking coins have you had experience with? What What did they really look like? 
Can you sort of give us a, a little description about maybe a few of the Viking coins that, that you've worked with and what we can learn about the Vikings from viewing their coins? Um, yeah, I mean, if you look at the, the, the coins that were produced um, in England by the Vikings, you know, you, you, you would obviously be looking at York from around the 890s. Um, bearing in mind that, you know, that there were different sort of rulers and groups of, of Vikings that that ruled York, you know, you, you can gauge, you know, different things about them. I mean, say, for example, the earlier uh, Northumbrian coinage, which was a huge part of the 1840 Cuadale Horde, got, you know, it's got very outwardly Christian legends and symbols on it. You know, the, there was there was no inkling of any sort of paganism going on there. Whereas, fast forward a little bit to, um, you know, sort of post-Brunum Burr, coinage, you know, could, there's probably bits in between that I'm not really sort of recollecting right now. But say, for example, um, you look at the um, the raven pennies of Anlaf Gothrison, and, um, you know, again, you know, you, you're looking at a, a very um, uh, pagan um, depiction, um, but yet on the um, flip side of, of, of those coins, uh, you've got a cross, you know. <laughs> so there is, uh, there's a real mix of religion here, you know. So from this, we can see the, the sort of interplay of religion based on the, the, the Vikings uh, that were in England. You know, th there's various other symbols that you see. I mean, you know, in the York coinage, let, let's just say, let's just say first quarter of the 10th century, you've got uh, Thor's hammers appearing on the coinage, you know, um, and, and, and various other things. So so from that, you know, as I say, you're looking at religion, uh, you're looking at sort of politics, how the rulers wanted to be viewed, yeah. um, the message they wanted to, 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 to give out. Going back to uh, the Raven coin, uh, one of the things that I particularly like to bring attention to is the fact that on that coin, Anlaf styles himself as Anlaf Kanunk. Kanunk, uh, you know, Kanung being uh, Old Norse for king. That is the earliest recorded use of um, Old Norse in the Roman alphabet. Wow. And Noah, you, you can hold the thing in your hand, you can own it. Yeah. You know, um, so to relate it back to, to why I do what I do, I mean, you know, these um, these fantastic artifacts that, that, that you can own, and in many cases for a song, you know, for, for, for not very much. Goodness, you know, if, if, you, if you really sit down, study them closely, you can learn so much, as I say, about the Vikings themselves, about, um, as I say, what the, the, the image they wanted to project, who they were, what their beliefs were, it provides a real insight that the the historic records sort of don't. As we all know, um, the Vikings they didn't write a lot down. Right, um, right. So so we have to rely on the sort of on the coins, on the material. Uh, Artifacts and, and so on. Uh, sort of, I suppose what would you call it? You know, architecture as well. Um, what they left behind in order to sort of fill in the gaps 
So there, yeah, it's a, a far ranging field um, that anyone can dip into, really. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely remarkable. You know, just that. I mean, to me, that's that's just priceless to hold the very object in your hand that's that's nearly a thousand, one thousand years old. That you know, an Anglo-Saxon or or a Viking would have would have used to purchase goods or whatever. They've actually you know would have worn some sort of leather pouch and in the coin perhaps would have been in there. That's just that that's absolutely remarkable. But but one thing I've always wondered is you know when they when they excavate these coin hoards when they find them you know wherever in mounds in the ground or, or just wherever they find them how do those coins then get distributed to dealers like yourself and essentially to the populace where they can be bought and sold does the state take control of the that coin hoard as a historical artifact or does the owner of perhaps the the field where they were excavated you know how does that process work yeah of course you're not not exclusively in the field of viking coins like any any hoard that gets found i believe the 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 current law is two or more coins um with a precious metal content of above 10 percent um and i really should make sure that i know that because it's important um is considered a hoard. It has to be uh, declared to the authorities within 14 days. There's a process which can be quite elongated, whereby they are considered by the uh, coroner, I believe of the county that they're found in, uh, who declares whether or not they are treasure. And so, you know, it's pretty obvious to anyone involved as to what is and what isn't treasure. So once they are declared as treasure, they then get offered to to first and foremost, I believe, the British Museum, which of course in the UK is the national collection. The British Museum don't want them. They get um, offered to the a local museum. So say, for example, if you are to look at the, uh, when was it, 2015 Watlington Hoard, um, which in itself was a unbelievably important um, find, believed uh, deposited by the Vikings after the Battle of Eddington, uh, they went to um, I believe Sirencester for a year, and so I think the theory is while they were in that area and the nearby areas, and having subsequently uh, made their way back to East Anglia, um, they would have deposited these coins. It was a mixed hoard, um, so um, it wasn't just coins. There was hack silver in there. The Vikings were more interested in the content of the metal as opposed to actual um, uh, coins themselves. So, um, yeah, mixed hoard, um, one very small um, gold ingot, and I believe around 200 coins um, deposited in, in Watlington, which um, which is actually in the same county that I'm in right now, just down the M40 here. And yeah, you know, I say a very exciting find. They had to raise, I believe it was about 1.35 million in order to buy it. I mean, I think it was 
probably worth a bit more than that. But you know, that that's just that's just politics. Really massively interesting hoard. It was recognised as a very important hoard, and the campaign that a lot of museums uh, put forward is sort of you know save this hoard from uh, being split up. So obviously, dealers, coin dealers like me, kind of like it to a degree when coin hoards get dispersed because uh, you know it gives us an opportunity to uh, uh, of course enjoy the coins and uh, and then maybe uh, make a bit out of them at the same time but to be honest with you a hoard of the importance of uh, Watlington, it, it really does need to stay together. The benefit is it can be documented, um, it can be pictured, um, scholars can can and will descend on it and um, really eek from it whatever they can, you know, um, where the coins fit in to the wider picture. I mean, these coins, apart from one uh, Alfred the Great piece, I mean, mainly Alfred the Great and a king of um, Mercia called Cheowulf, there's one Alfred the Great piece from about 880. The the rest of the coins all date from around the mid to late um, 870s of a uh, coinage, a cross and lozenge coinage, where very few hordes have been found. Up till now, you know, there's been very few around and about. And then all of a sudden, bang, like you've got like a couple of hundred of these things. So the way that the the horde can tell us about what was going on during the period, how the uh, coins you know fit into the history, and bearing in mind, you know, Alfred the Great was uh, he wanted to expand. He wanted to sort of you know there was the, the kingdom of of Mercia with what was depicted in the Anglo-Saxon chronicles as uh, you know, a puppet king, quote something, a, a weak king's thane. And Alfred wanted to, uh, he, he wanted to be king of king of England. He wanted to to rule south of Watling Street. He wanted to rule all of it. But uh, at this stage in time, um, you know, there was real power play between the two, the, the, the last kingdoms. Um, yeah. And yeah, so going back to the the, the horde, there was also in there uh, multiple specimens of what's known as the two emperors issue. Up until this horde, there was one known of Cheowulf of Mercia and one known of Alfred the Great. I believe the Cheowulf was found in... Um, 1840 in Cuadale, in the Cuadale Horde, which incidentally is the, the biggest hoard of Viking coins ever to be found in the British Isles. Yeah. And the other one was found in about 1890 um, in Croydon, Surrey. So, yes, it gives you an idea of the, the, the rarity of these coins and uh, how just chance finds can completely restructure the numbers known, what we know about the history. And, uh, and yeah, so Watlington is, um, uh, is going to be a hoard that's going to give a lot of numismatists a lot of very happy uh, studying time, unpicking what we can learn about it, as well as, of course, historians. 
historians. That's fascinating. You know, you mentioned that that Watlington Horde was found, you know, just what, three years ago in, in 2015. So I'd love to, to ask you, how many more coins do you believe there are to yet be discovered? Are there just more hordes to be found in the ground? You know, are people finding more coins, more Viking coins, more Anglo-Saxon coins all the time? You know, how much out there is there yet to be discovered? No one can tell. If you if you think about the rate that coins are coming up, I mean, you you, you just have to look at the um, uh, the state of metal detectors and how they are progressing unbelievably. How you can find things that are deeper and deeper underground, you know, it's 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 unreal. If you as well, you know, if if you if you consider um, how more more and more people are taking up metal detecting, I mean, this series on TV, metal detectorist. I don't know if you if you have it over in the US. I've heard of it. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, um, I think that's had a, had a, a real influence. It's kind of made made the whole thing a bit more accessible. Of course, there's this notion that you can just buy one, spend ten minutes in the field, and then become a millionaire. Which you know, I, I know a, a lot of metal detectors have been out in the field for years and years and have had good thing, but have never found a hoard. But um, uh, you know, going back to your original question, there are a lot of coins turning up around the Baltic, the Baltic Sea, as there has been for for years and years. You know, we're, we're talking Danegelt payments um, in the main. I mean, the, the, there was so much money, so much silver uh, leave these shores um, and go to, right the way around the Baltic, you know, up into Russia, Estonia, Latvia, Germany, Poland, Denmark, you know, just, of course, the, the, the Viking homelands. And yeah, they, they do turn up. You look at the uh, auction scene in Europe and uh, there are certain sort of German auction houses, for example, that you can bet your bottom dollar um, that whenever an auction comes up, there's going to be something in there that's that's related to Viking activity. Inevitably, um, Canute and Ethelred pennies, you know, they, they, they just traveled over in, in, in massive number. And these are just the ones that are getting found on the continent. I was lucky enough to help value a hoard of 5,250 Anglo-Saxon coins. You know, all it takes is one guy to find one hoard and you know you you can be talking thousands and thousands of coins coming to light i mean i haven't really heard very much about the context of that particular hoard if you look at the uh, what was in there it, it, it started in i think um what well, what's known as the crux issue of um of ethelred the second um so let's say for argument's sake halfway through the reign of Ed, uh, of Ethelred II, um, up into uh, the end of Canute's reign, basically all the coins that were in there were absolutely untouched. Wow. Now, if, if I'm to take my sort of uh, historian's hat off and put my commercial hat on, as it were, just imagine what would happen if all those coins made it onto the market all at the same time. You know, if you're talking about supply and demand, it, it would just completely deflate 
uh, the market. I mean, I, right. I, I, I tried to argue because I did a valuation for the chap that found it. And, and this is the Lenbra board for anyone that wants to look it up. You know, I, I tried to argue that if it was leaked out slowly, that it would um, it wouldn't depress the market as much. But no, I mean, it, massively interesting hoard, um, probably not Viking related. But as I say, in one fell swoop, we're talking over 5,000 coins. Tomorrow, a hoard could get found in Russia, for argument's sake, with another 5,000 coins. Yeah. It could happen. Yeah, well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that the problem with a lot of like Roman and Byzantium coins is they've just found hordes and hordes. So these sort of ancient coins aren't, aren't worth very much simply because thousands and thousands of them have all been released at one time. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you if you look at the uh, the hoard of Roman coins that get found, I mean, we're, we're talking, you know, if, you, if you put your arms out as, as far as they'll go and imagine a pot that's that size and about, mm-hmm. you know, about the, the height of you, um, I mean, there's every potential that, <laughs> that hordes that big could get found. Now, okay, maybe maybe I'm sort of over-egging it a bit, but um, but certainly massive hordes do get found. And when I before I before I got into coins, I uh, you know I thought that the older a coin is. The, the, the more expensive it has to be. But that's certainly not true. I mean, you can pick up a, a, a Roman coin that looks like it was made yesterday for, let's say, let's say for argument's sake, $30, you know, like £25 maybe. And again, you know, it, it, it's the same sort of interest. It's the same thrill holding in your hand something that was there. You know, it saw the light of day in Roman times. It was made by someone who was who was part of that culture. It, you know, the, any notion that, that you have to um, be well healed um, in order to become a coin collector is, is, is certainly false. And I have actually just written an article on starting coin collecting. Um, oh, have you? Yeah. Um, for, um, for a magazine a new magazine in the UK um, called Coin Collecting Magazine. Okay. Um, There's only been one issue out so far, but um, yeah, so... I'm on the uh, editorial board of the magazine, along with um, some other well-known names. Um, and yeah, so uh, you know, anyone uh, looking to start collecting hammered coins, which of course uh, includes uh, uh, a Viking very much, you know, right bang smack in the center there, um, should yeah. perhaps seek out the magazine when it's out, which I believe is going to be in the next sort of month or two. That's awesome. And I'll be sure to like a link to the magazine website in the description or something. Yeah, it'd be really good. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much, John, uh, John Mann, for coming on the show today. It's just been uh, an absolute delight to be able to talk to you and for you to just share your passion and your expertise of coins of certainly the Viking and medieval nature, but just, um, you know, these pieces of history that you can hold in your hands in general. So, so John, thank you so much for, for joining me today. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. If you've enjoyed this episode of the History of Vikings, do me a favor and write me a review as I would love to hear from you. You can also feel free to contact me at my email address, Noah at the history of Vikings.com. Thank you so much for joining me today, everyone. I look forward to talking with you again on next week's episode of the history of Vikings. (laughs) 